Amen. Well, how many of you have had a, already an encounter with the Holy Spirit this morning? Amen. Amen. I hope you have. I hope you have. I, I, I believe the Lord has taken us to another place today in worshiping Him and bringing glory to His holy name. Oksana and the worship team has taken us into the deep places beyond the veil this morning to bring glory to the only one who is worthy of glory this morning. Amen. Did you feel his presence? Has anybody felt his presence this morning? Did you feel his presence? You say, Father, I don't know if I, you know, you're not supposed to feel his presence. You're supposed to feel his presence. You're supposed to touch him because he's trying to touch you. You're supposed to get close to him because he's trying to get close to, I'm about to preach and I've not even got to the passage yet. But, but you're supposed to get near to him. He says, draw near to me. And what will I do? I'll draw near to you. I don't know about you, but this morning I came to the house of God. I've been praying. I've been equipped. I've been just getting ready in his presence. I've said, Lord, I want you to speak to me through the passage. And I prayed for our worship team. And the Spirit of God brought people all the way from Chile to worship with you today. The Lord brought people whose origins from Egypt to worship with you today. The Lord brought somebody from Ukraine to worship with you today. The Lord brought me from Syria to worship with you today. You're here from this blessed nation of ours, the United States of America, to worship together. He's worthy of the nation's coming. The language of German, Indonesian, we've heard the names of, of the Lord being lifted up. He's worthy. He is worthy of all of our worship and our praise. You know why? He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. Amen. He is the beginning and He is the end. He is the question and He is the answer. He is the wheel turning. He is the prophet like Moses. He is our Savior and He is our Redeemer. Isn't He? He is the one who is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. In Mark, you find Him as the servant of the Most High. In Luke, you find him as the savior of the world. In John, you find him God in the flesh coming to be with us. Amen. In Matthew, you find him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In your epistles, he's our teacher rabbi. And in the book of Revelation, he is the release of God's kingdom from heaven to earth. He is our God. I'm telling you, America needs Jesus. <laughs> I need Jesus. You need Jesus. He is the only one that can take us from where we are and remind us we've got a passport. I've got a passport. My passport does, has, has, it's written on it. I'm born in Syria and I'm a citizen of the United States, but I've got another passport. I said, I've got another passport. I said, I've got another passport because I'm reminded that I am a citizen of a different kingdom. Are y'all okay? And it's stamped by the blood of the lamb, redeemed, saved, forgiven, full of grace. Are you, are y'all okay? And he is my God and my redeemer. Is it okay if I have a holy fit here this morning? Are y'all okay with me having a holy fit? I want you to listen to what he said in the book of Revelation chapter five, and then I'll go to my text. I'll go to my, I, every time I try here to behave, I end up not behaving. In, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, listen to what it says. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you were and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and every language, people of every nation. And you made them a kingdom and a priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. One day you're going to come. 
coming here and your job is to reign with Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's our awesome God. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. To you bring your Bibles with you this morning, I brought mine. You may bring it by way of phone. That's perfectly fine. You may bring it by way of just like me. I would like to hold my Bible and my notebook with me. Any way you decided to bring it. But I pray that you bring the Word of God with you to the house of the living God. Do you love the Word of God? Amen. Do you love the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Well, you've already been preached to this morning. Really, I was pondering whether I should. Here I am, a southern Syrian. I'm saying I'm pondering. And so, but, um, but I, I, uh, I was pondering. I was fixing to do. No. <laughs> so I was just, uh, just thinking, should I preach? I mean, after this worship, who would want to preach? Are y'all okay? You know, who would want to preach when you've already been ushered into the presence of God? And as we used to say in Northwest Tennessee, if you've not felt His presence and the fire of God, your wood is wet. Are you okay? Your wood is wet. People say, Fadi, do you try to stir up people? Yes, I do try to stir up people. Why? Because the King of Kings is in the house. And I want us to all be not only sitting, but bowing in His presence. Amen. Because he's worthy. Uh, I uh, uh, want to bring, I heard a little boy, he, he couldn't really uh, get, uh, heard, he couldn't get the words of the Lord's prayer together. He's trying to put it all together and he prayed it like this. He prayed, our father who does art in heaven, Howard is your name. And then I heard about another little boy. Who, uh, who, uh, they were dedicating his baby brother to the Lord and the pastor was praying over the family. And, uh, and, uh, and he, uh, he, he wants, when they're done with the dedication, they're on their way back home. The little brother is sitting in the back seat who has just had his little baby brother dedicated to the Lord. He's sitting in the back seat and he's just bawling and he's crying. And, uh, and, uh, the dad turns around and he says, well, why are you crying? He goes, because I heard the preacher say that he, after he dedicated my brother, he wants us to grow up in a godly family. But I want to stay with you. (laughs) Amen? Amen. (laughs) Well, listen. If I mention to you the names of several families, husband and wives, Husband and wife, not wives. So I wonder, you're allowed one wife. <laughs> Are you okay? So anyway, I wonder what comes to your mind. I wonder what comes to your mind when I say Adam and Eve. Tragedy, sin, failure. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Abraham and Sarah. What would come to your mind? Maybe blessings, nations. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Isaac and Rebecca. Maybe the whale's uncapped so God's Holy Spirit can flow again. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Moses and Zipporah. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Noah and Joan. Joan of Arc. No, I'm just kidding. Are y'all okay? <laughs> but then we have other couples when we mention their name. You get a, this feeling about it. It's not, a, it's not a healthy feeling. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say David and Bathsheba. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Samson and Delilah. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Ahab 
and Jezebel. Then we have other couples of the New Testament. And when I mention their name, something of favor and something of glory and something of blessing may come to your mind. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Zechariah and Elizabeth. I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Joseph and Mary. And what if I say Ananias and Sapphira? I wonder what comes to your mind if I say Ananias and Sapphira. See, Ananias and Sapphira to the New Testament is what Achan was to the Old Testament. You remember the story of Achan? It's mentioned in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 7, God has given Israel a momentum to move forward and experience victory by His presence, might, and power on their way to the promised land. And Achan was one who had seen God doing mighty work. He'd seen him seen doing breakthrough work. And he'd seen Israel just kind of progressing. And, and God brings the people of Israel to Jericho. And when they get to Jericho, there they meet the people of Jericho. And God gives victory to Israel. The people of Israel are in Jericho now, and, and, and they, they're, they're, they're walking all around and watching the spoils of that battle. And there's the Babylonian kingdom that come before the Israelites have gotten there, and they've given gifts to the people of Jericho. They've given robes that are, that are trades with gold, and they've given silver and gold. And, and after Israel had gone in and, and kind of conquered Jericho, there was one man by the name of Achan. Now God said, when you win the battle, the spoils of the victory are to be offered to me. They're to go up in fire. They're to be a covenant for that victory for me. But Achan walks right into a tent and he beholds the Babylonian robe dressed in gold. He sees the silver and he sees the gold. And he decides when nobody was looking to allow Satan to come into his mind. And he sees the silver and the gold and he takes it. Now, he takes it against the will of God. He can't use it, really. So what does he have to do with it? He has to hide it. But then God exposes it. God blew the whistle on it. Joshua comes in and announces God's judgment on it. And Achan, Achan receives the judgment. He was stoned, but not only he himself was stoned. His family who really aided and abated and all of that... They were also suffering the consequences of one man's sin. And he became to the Old Testament what Ananias and Sapphira are to the New Testament. Now, this is a very tough passage to preach. (laughs) I don't like preaching it, to be honest with you. But I want to focus on the glory of God today. Because you and I showed up to the sanctuary of God. Because God has given us permission to partake of His glory. To come in and, and, and give Him all the glory. To celebrate His presence and not take away of His presence. Are you with me? When we worship and preach and lift our hearts to the Lord, we're not drawing attention to ourselves. We're drawing attention to the one who has died for our sins. Who has given all that we may be set free, that you and I may find life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody glad that 
that Jesus has saved you. Can I see your hands this morning? Is anybody glad that Jesus has forgiven your sins? Can I just see your hands today? Is anybody glad that when you close your eyes in death, and death is not a scary thing for the child of God, you're going to open your eyes in the presence of the one who has given it all, and you're going to be in the presence of perfection, in the presence of Almighty God. I am glad that he has saved me and changed me and redeemed me. If you've got your Bibles, would you take your Bible, stand with me in honor of the living word of God and turn to Acts chapter 5. We're going to read Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. But before that, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Acts 4, 36 through 37. If your Bible is on Acts, would you say I'm there? The Bible says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one... The one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why Has Satan filled, watch this, your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard The young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife, after she put her makeup on, came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Now, right there, you would think that should stunt, stop, ceases the growth of a church. But watch what happened. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, buried her, buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church, on all who heard these things. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in an increasing numbers. Multitudes of both men and women. Now look up here for just a second. May the Lord etch the scripture on our hearts. May the Spirit of God imprint it on our minds. May God take it and allow us to walk it as an application for our faith every day. Now we've seen so far from the book of Acts. We have seen so far that God promised that he will add to the church daily. So we've seen God adding to the church. We've seen God multiplying the church We have seen God here in Acts chapter 5 even subtracting from the church. But one thing God will never do is divide the church. So listen carefully. God 
will add to the church. God will multiply the church. God will even subtract from the church. But God will never divide the church. Can I get an amen? God bless you. You may be seated. This is really an amazing, amazing passage. This is a powerful passage that God has given us in Acts chapter 5. Now let me just kind of take us back. Steve did a great job last Sunday morning keeping us on track to where God has the church. Let me just remind you where we are with the house of God since the day the church was born. So far, the days of the church have been wonderful. So far, the days of the church have been celebrative. So far, the days of the church has been absolutely awesome. So far, the church had enjoyed progress, addition, multiplication. 3,000 people were added when the church was born. (laughs) And they began to baptize new believers. Every pool in Jerusalem was full of people being baptized. And the testimony of the converted, those that have been converted, have gone out into the Samaria, Judea, and maybe even beyond territories. Almost by now to Acts chapter 5, 20,000 people have become part of the house of God. The church is joyful. The church is upbeat. As a matter of fact, Satan notices that. And what does Satan do? He brings persecution. He comes from the outside to persecute the church. Remember the last time we talked about persecution? And persecution that comes from the outside, as a matter of fact, it's always proven through history. It strengthened the body of Christ. When persecution came, came because Peter and John were preaching the gospel, laying hands on those who needed a miracle, and the lame man came walking and leaping and praising God. So now we have the preaching of the power of the word. We have signs and wonders and miracles, and the church is experiencing a great season. A great thing is happening in the body of Christ. Persecution comes and the church expands and the church grows. Satan notices that. He could not punish the church from the outside. So he comes to visit the church on the inside. There was a day when Satan came to church. (laughs) He couldn't hurt the church by persecuting the church on the outside. So he decided to come in and visit the church on the inside. Now when persecution came, we noticed several things that had happened. Number one, if you remember, it strengthened the faith of the believer. Uh, When persecution came, they began to preach the gospel and the message of resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, they talked about the resurrection. In Acts chapter 3, they preached the resurrection. In Acts chapter 4, they preached the resurrection. And here in chapter 5, when you begin reading chapter 5, you will see them talking about that Christ that you've crucified. God has raised him from the dead. What is the heartbeat of our message as the people of God? It is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So far, so good. But then there was an Achan in the camp. Then there was an Ananias and a Sapphira in the camp. They watched something happen. And watch this now. They wanted glory for themselves. They wanted some attention. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted some credit for who they are and what they have done. There was a Sapphira and Ananias in the camp. 
Now I want you to notice something very, very important for us to learn this morning. And that is, any time the glory of God is touched, it's very costly for those who touch it. And any time a door is open for Satan to come in and invade the mind and the soul and the spirit of a believer, it becomes very costly. In the book of Joshua, when Achan took the money in Joshua chapter 6, one notice something very important that happened there. When Satan comes to invade and to interrupt, he not only comes to defile the faith of the believer, he comes always, watch this now, to stop the advance of the work of the kingdom that God has given to the church. That's his main goal, is to stop the advance of the work of the kingdom through the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Joshua chapter 1 all the way to Joshua chapter 6, the people of Israel are advancing. We get to chapter 6, there's an Achan in the camp, and because of Achan, People of Israel could not advance anymore. And God said, unless, watch this now, unless you deal with that, you cannot win one more victory. We come to Acts chapter 1, we see the church moving. Acts chapter 2, the church is born. Acts chapter 3, the church is advancing. Acts chapter 4, the church is expanding. We come to chapter 5, and the church stopped and steal. Why? There was 11 in the house. There's sin in the camp. Now, I want to make a statement this morning. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, could it be that the church is not advancing? Could it be that denominations are dying? Could it be that our work is not as effective and impactful in our communities and beyond simply because we refuse to deal with sin in the camp? Could it be that God is saying, I want my bride to be pure and holy and righteous. And we know there's sin in the camp. And we choose not to deal with it. And God said, you cannot do more evangelism. You cannot win one more victory. You cannot see the glory again. You can't do anything. You could have church services if you want. But unless you deal with sin in the camp. I can't let you go forward. And everything stopped, stand still in Acts chapter 5. And in Acts chapter 6, after they dealt with Ananias and Sapphira, the church began progressing again. I want to give you two simple things this morning with the leftover time that I have. And I'll try my best to speak fast. You'll listen fast. And we'll move forward through the material. Number one, I want you to see something very important. This is very, very important. Number one, when a life is fully surrendered to God, it will experience three things. Write them down. The favor of God, the favor of God, the discernment of the Spirit of God to make wise decisions. And number three, faith that perseveres and a faith that has vision in it. Let me repeat that. When a life is fully surrendered to God, it will experience the favor of God, the discernment of the Holy Spirit to make wise decisions and a strong faith that helps persevere and it gives vision to that life. Did you write those down? I hope you wrote these things down. All right. Now, but on the other hand, when a life is not surrendered to God and Satan has access to that life, the first thing we will see, a faith that is being challenged. The second thing that we will see, a faith that fails 
And the third thing that we will see is a future that is destroyed. So let me begin with the first one. When a life is fully surrendered to God, we will see the favor of God. We will see the spirit of discernment grow in that life. And number three, we will see a faith that is strong and solid in Christ. You remember in Acts chapter 4, there was a man by the name of Barnabas. Now his real name is Joseph, Joe. And Joseph was a man that has fully surrendered his life to Almighty God. They call him the son of Barnabas. They call him the son of encouragement. They gave him name. His name was Barnabas. Let me tell you something about Barnabas. And that's what the church needs to be like. Barnabas had so much of the favor of God on him. That when they needed to verify there's a revival going on in Antioch, who should we send there? There's a man with the favor of God on him, a man with Holy Spirit discernment on him, a man who understands what faith is all about. Who should we send? Let's send Barnabas. When the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus and he encountered the Lord of glory and he needed to be coming back to Jerusalem, be given credibility for this faith that used to persecute Christians, who should we bring with Paul so the church can accept him because he attests to his faith? They brought Barnabas. When Mark was one who was given a gift to write and to, 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 to give foundation to what Peter would eventually give us, the gospel of Mark. When Mark was rejected by Paul himself and one who would not give up on Mark is his cousin. Who shall we try to put by Mark so Mark can grow into his calling? We will put a man with the favor of God on him. We will put a man with the, with the Holy Spirit discernment on him. We put a man who understand what real faith is all about. Let's put Barnabas by Mark. Barnabas, what a great name. His name is son of encouragement. It's really translated the son of soothing. Matter of fact, I want you to know about Barnabas a few things. Number one, you need to know that he was a man of great wealth. Now, he's a Levite, and Levites are not supposed to own anything. They're supposed to be only people who worshipped the priesthood. They worship, I'm sorry, through the priesthood. They were to be consecrated to offer God the offerings every day. But you know, he was not a child of God at that time. He had not found Jesus at that time. He might have inherited a piece of land or owned a piece of land. And Barnabas, when he became a child of God, he recognized as a Levite, I'm only consecrated to worship my priest, the high priest, my Lord, the Lord of glory, my Savior, the one who's redeemed me. And now he becomes a true Levite. And he, sends, he sells that piece of land and he brings the money to the apostles' feet and he lays it at the apostles' feet for them to do whatever they desire that the church needed to be, to be done and the, need, and the needs to be met. So he was a very wealthy man, but now a saved wealthy man, a truly committed wealthy man, and a man who understands the need of the body of Christ and the mission of Christ. And he brings that and put it at the disciples' feet. He was not only a man of wealth and influence, he was a man of high reputation. He came from an awesome family. Now watch, this is powerful. This is why the worship is awesome today, by the way. Let me tell you why. Because Barnabas was of a Jewish family, but born in a Gentile world. He was of a Jewish family, was born in Cyprus. There's another man of a Jewish family, also was born in 
in, 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 a, in a Gentile world by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Right near the borders of Turkey. Isn't it amazing? That God would take a Carlos from Chile and a Mark who's originally from Egypt and an Oksana originally from Ukraine and, and, and Bubba, he is from Northwest Tennessee. And, uh, and God will take all of us, listen, born by the redeemed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and he would use us for his glory. God can save a Muslim and use him for his glory. And God can save a Hindu and use him for his glory. And God can save a man who was, who was resistant to the gospel and use him for his glory. God would take a man who grew up in a Gentile world to be sent to the Gentile world. That's why he put Paul and Barnabas together. Now, even though they are of a Jewish origin, they were born in a Gentile world. They understood the Gentile world and how to relate to the Gentile world. He's an amazing man of wealth who now is a saved man of wealth. He's an amazing man of, of, of credibility. Now he's used for the glory of Almighty God. Barnabas, a great man of God. When I think of Barnabas, I want to think of you. When I think of Barnabas, I think of a disciple maker. He made a disciple out of Paul. When I think of Barnabas, I think of a load lifter. He saw the need and he met that need. When I think of a Barnabas, I think of a bridge builder. He saw that Mark need not to be given up on and he brought him in and built a bridge. When I think of a Barnabas, I think of a visionary who's able to lead and guide and fortness and takes the church where the church needs to go. When I think of Barnabas, I think of somebody who can bear the yoke of those who needed to be lifted up. What a great man, Barnabas. And against that kind of a backdrop, we come to Ananias and Sapphira. Now he had a piece of land and he sold it. He brought it to the disciples' feet. Now watch this. This is powerful. They watched what was happening. You could almost see it. Barnabas brings the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And you could watch Ananias and Sapphira just watching what Barnabas is doing. They wanted to do the same. They had a piece of land and they wanted to do the same. Is it wrong for them to do what Barnabas did? It's not wrong for them to sell a piece of land and bring it to the disciples' feet. Is it wrong for them to, to bring an offering to the church? Quite the opposite. It is the right thing for them to bring the offering to the church. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have a business and you sell it or a piece of land or you sell it or a car and you sell it, are you mandated to bring the money to the church? You're not mandated to bring the money to the church. Nobody is forcing you to sell a piece of land and bring it to the church. As a matter of fact, Peter looks at Ananias and Sapphira and said, was it not your own? Did you not own it? Did we make you sell the land? No. Did we force you to give 10%? No. Was it wrong of him to sell it? No. Is it right for him to sell it if he wants to? Yes. Yes. See, it's not the fact that he sold it. It's what he said that makes the difference in the selling. The Bible said we ought to watch each other. And we ought to stir each other into good faith and good work. It's okay to want to imitate Barnabas. What's not okay is for you to say, I'm going to give 100% of the resources that God has given me. And then turn around and give 50%. Why? Because in those days, the community was watching. 
the world was experiencing. There was a witness of what was happening. And the glory of God was moving through the church. And what Barnabas and what, 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 what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, they committed a covenant to God. And then they come and they give another portion. What, what they're doing? They're doing, they're touching the glory of God. And God said, you're bringing a stop to the advance of the kingdom work of Almighty God. What happened? They looked at the money. They looked at it. That's a lot of money. So I don't think we ought to give 100% of it, even though we said we're going to give 100% of it. Now, let me, let me just ask you a question. If they came back to the disciples and said, we've changed our mind. Is it okay if we give only 50%? I believe the disciples would have said, you can change your mind. That's okay. I think you'll hurt your witness, but you can change your mind. Let me tell you something, friend. When you are consecrated to Almighty God, and I'm not just talking about money right now. When you represent the King of Kings, when you carry the passport from heaven, when you declare, I'm a child of the living God, you better live up to that covenant. You better live up to the covenant of the name that you're carrying in your life. I believe the disciples would have said, you can change your mind. But it's not what they sold, it's what they said. Why? Here's why. Can you imagine if they're there and, and they give 100%, they said, I'm going to give 100%, but they give only 50%? And they know it. Who else knows it? God knows it. God knows it. But let's assume God doesn't punish them for it. By the way, thank God for grace. Are y'all okay? God knows it. But let's assume they got quiet about it. And God didn't do anything about it. And people came to church and they're praising God for what Barnabas done. And then they turn around and go to Ananias and Sapphira. And they begin to praise God for Ananias and Sapphira. Knowing they know that they have lied to the Holy Spirit. They'll have to stay quiet about it. Not do anything. And they will have to walk in pretense and receive praise. Knowing that they don't, they're not worthy of that praise. Then they go home. And their children said, Dad, Mom, we heard people say that you gave 100%, but we know you gave only 50%. They'll have to tell their children, you be quiet. And now the sin goes from one generation to another generation. What about the people who, who, listen, who bought the land? I'm positive it was people probably from outside the church. Can you imagine that man who bought the land? He heard about it. And he says, those people in the church, they tell their God that they give them 100%. But I know they didn't give 100%. In those days in Hebrew communities, everybody knew about everybody else's business. Those phonies in the church. I don't want to join a church like that. And that's what they did. See, when you are a man fully committed to God like Barnabas, you have the favor of God because of your fullness of commitment. You have a discerning spirit about you. And there's a strong faith that will not let you shake and open a door for Satan. But when you're half-hearted and half-committed to Almighty God, you open the door for Satan to test you with the pride of life, with the, with the lust of the eye, with the lust of the flesh, and what you want to own, number one. Number two, you will end up, listen, not only open the door for Satan to come and tempt you, you will have a faith that is failing and a future that suffers consequences. Sad that they dropped dead 
But listen, friend, here's what God said. The church can't go forward unless the church deals with the leaven in the house. Dealing with the leaven in the house. Now, I want to be a Barnabas. I don't want to be an Ananias. I want to be a man under purging consistently to receive the Spirit of God, to be committed to Almighty God. I want you to listen very carefully right up here. God is a loving God. Somebody say amen. He's a God of grace. Somebody say amen. He's a holy God. Somebody say amen. He's a righteous God. Somebody say amen. He's a gracious God. Somebody say amen. But he is a just God. Thank you for saying that. And when God sees that his glory have been touched, God's going to do something about it. And could it be that my life individually or your life, the church's body and, and, and those that are advancing are not advancing simply because there's sin in the camp. And we have to deal with it. I don't want to stand here and tell you that I'm a hero and I can deal with all of it. and know how to deal with all of it. But I know this. Every sin. Listen. Every sin in my life that I choose to cover, God will uncover. And every sin that I choose to uncover, God will cover. Can I say it again? Every sin in my life. That I choose to cover, God will uncover. And every sin in my life, because he's a loving, redeeming God, that I choose to uncover, God takes his blood and wipes it and covers it. And God hates a lying tongue. And God hates a hypocritical heart. Because mark my word, a lying tongue is an expression of a hypocritical heart. A hypocritical heart is an expression of a double-minded spirit. A double-minded spirit is an expression of an uncommitted faith. And an uncommitted faith is an expression of lostness. And lostness is an expression of a mess that Satan has come to deal in the house of a heart, of a man's heart. Let me close by saying this. Peter said, Watch this. Why did you conceive that in your heart? Because lying, being a hypocrite, being double-minded are all issues of the heart. Guard your heart, for out of it comes what? The issues of life. And when you become a child of the living God, God is saying, I want you to become a woman after God's own heart. I want you to become a man after God's own heart. But I love how this passage ended. I love it. Here's what it says. And the Bible says, fear came upon them, but something else happened. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. And believers, watch this now, were added to the Lord in an increasing numbers. Multitudes of both men and women. Why? I mean, I, I would think if, if the community heard a man lied to God and to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead, I don't, I don't know that I would want to join that church. Why is it? That the community said, I'm in. I'm in. I know he died in there, but I'm in. Why? Watch this now. Because they've experienced a religious system led by Pharisees. They've experienced a religious system led by scribes and covered the sin of those that need to be uncovered. They've seen the duplicity of hearts. They have seen the hypocrisy in the heart of a religious system. And for the first 
time they've watched a holy church, a clean church, a righteous church, and a glorious church to really rise up and to represent a holy God, righteous God, clean God, purging God, sanctifying God, and a saving God. For the first time in history, they've experienced a house that is fully committed to Almighty God. And they said, I want to be part of that. Could it be that our community is saying, Harpeth, I want to come to the house of God. And I want to be in a holy place, right place, great place where my life can be changed. Now look up here for just a second. I'm about to give an invitation. And I don't want to say that you could be either an Ananias or a Barnabas, but I want to say this to you. The greatest decision you could ever make today in your life. I promise you. There is nothing like tonight. March the 19th is going home and laying your head down on that pillow and be clean conscience. Be pure before God. And say, God, I belong to you. Fully committed to you. I need your favor. I need your Holy Spirit to give me discernment. I need a faith that will not fail. I need to be like a Barnabas. If you're here today and you don't know him as Lord of your life, you could join him. Why? He's the only pure God. He's the only holy God. He's the only righteous God. He's the only gracious God. He's the only giving God. He's the only life-giving God. No one else, nowhere else you're going to find anyone like the God of our salvation, Jesus the Lord. If you're here and you doubted that you've even been saved, I'm telling you, friend, Today is the day of your salvation. Don't let this day pass by. I'd, I'd get saved on your behalf if I could, but I can't. If you're here this morning and you don't know him as Lord of your life, in a moment I'm going to lead in a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It's the motive of your heart. It's what you desire to do. It's what God is calling you to do. Would you bow your head with me, every head bow and every eye closed. You're here this morning and he said, Fadi, I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be a woman of integrity. I want to be a teenager of integrity. I want to be a a person that that present and represent God in an awesome way. And here today, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not really sure if I was to die, I'll go to heaven. Today, I want to seal that issue once and for all. I want you to pray with me right now. To pray a simple prayer again, this prayer doesn't save you, but the prayer leads you to salvation. So when your words come out of your mouth, they're expression of your heart and your desire, an expression of the will of God for your life. But that's a decision you'll have to make. Are you ready? Are you ready to give Him your life? So this morning, pray a simple prayer like this. Repeat it quietly in your heart. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I don't want to be an Ananias half-heartedly committed. I don't want to be like a Sapphira, stealing the glory from you. I want to be committed to you 100%. I want to be a child of the living God. I don't want to be just a church member. I don't want to belong just to a religion. I want to be part of the family of God. Say it. I want to be part of the family of God. Lord, I come to you as sinner, In need of forgiveness. Save me. Change me. Purge me. Forgive me of my sins and sinful nature. Touch me. 
and send me out like a Barnabas with faith, favor, and vision. And I will live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer, now pray a simple prayer like this. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me to your house today. I want it to be like the multitudes who've seen purity and wanted to be part of it. Praise you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, every head bow and every eye closed. Father, I pray that you would seal that decision to our hearts for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. Would you stand up with me, everybody? Listen in a moment. We're going to start singing and worshiping God. Later on, I'm going to come back and give you some directions about your decision. But listen, when we leave, let's all leave like a Barnabas, committed fully to the heart of God. Amen? Lead us in worship, and then I'll come back.